Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like, a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to There's No Business Like. I'm Brian Zelmer, director of KU Presents at Kutztown University, and I'm here with my friends, Danielle, from the Alden in Virginia. What's going on in Virginia, Danielle? Hey, guess what? It is April and it's 80 degrees today. Wow. Do you guys have the, because uh, you're close to Washington, D.C., don't you guys have the uh, cherry blossoms coming we soon? We do. We have the cherry blossoms are in full, I think they're actually a little bit past full peak at this moment. Um, it's getting into allergy season. We don't necessarily have like a spring season. We have more like an allergy season. It hasn't quite hit the pollination yet, though, which is like literally you open the door one day and there's just yellow pollen everywhere. Like if like everywhere like you can't get into your car without i know it. believe me i i suffer from that too here in pennsylvania speaking of seasons uh we also have josh benson from the marion cultural and civic center in marion illinois who is under a tornado watch because it's tornado season what's going on josh it is tornado season we're the southern illinois area i mean we get a lot of stuff coming oklahoma through missouri and like right into our area like straight through tornado alley it's an interesting time. Uh, luckily, most of the time, tornado watches and warnings don't quite line up with whenever we've got a thousand people in the theater. But one of the most important things there is for preparation and having a plan going into those times um, for shelter in place and where are the safe places in the building that we can stuff a thousand people. I think this is a great episode topic is emergency preparedness and planning, but um, obviously we don't have time to go into it too much today. I do want to introduce Kevin Maynard, who's also on the podcast, also from Illinois, but bordering the uh, the Iowa border as well. And he was recently in a in a tornado watch, but now I think you have hail, right, where you are in the Quad Cities. Yeah, so Kevin Maynard, Quad City Arts. Uh, we pretty much right now are just dodging hail and tornadoes and thunderstorms. Um, it's a nice gray, rainy. Yeah, just, you know, super exciting. <laughs> uh, normally, we're not in like Tornado Alley, uh, but uh, things seem to be shifting. So this is becoming a bit more normal. So... <laughs> Gotcha. And last but certainly not least is Katie Miller, who's probably going to have a hard time talking about Michigan. I know she doesn't know that much about it. <laughs> and that was sarcasm in case you're just tuning in because Katie is definitely a super cheerleader for the state. Katie, what's going on in Midland, Michigan? Hey, everyone. Katie Miller with the Midland Center for the Arts. And uh, we are having thunder and lightning right now. Uh, <laughs> so it's just great weather all the way around. Um, I think the storms that Kevin had yesterday actually came up <laughs> to Midland. So thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> we are uh, <laughs> really tired of the gray and the rain here in Midland, and we are really hoping that April showers bring May flowers very soon um, and some sunshine. And just to clarify, we're recording this the first week of April. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so, guys, yeah. I have a, a question for all of you. Have you, uh, you know, we're all involved in venues or, or with producing shows and things. Have you ever brought a family member or a very close friend to work with you to spend like a day with you, either working on something or a show? Yeah. When I was running the theater in Galesburg, um, my family would come to shows quite often. Um, 
I mean, basically, because I was killing it in the programming department. So you were, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but they would be able to come and see, you know, kind of what I do, you know, do the opening announcement stuff. But honestly, the most fun was when my nieces and nephews came um, because they would always want to, you know, go up on stage and then be able to show them, you know, the fly rail and how everything worked, be able to, you know, dressing rooms, because for them, I mean, it's the, it was the first time for them to be in a theater and in a theater of that sort of, uh, magnitude and just like how how beautiful that space was. So that was always really cool being able to show them kind of that backstage behind the scenes aspect for them because yeah, I mean just seeing their their wonder was was amazing. For me, like my daughter has hung out at the theater quite often. Um I've got a cabinet in my office that's got coloring books and crayons and everything else in it. Um and a random iPad, you know. Uh and I want to say my daughter was 3. It was in like 2000 it was December of 2019. Uh, I lost her to the to the tour of Nutcracker that was in that day. She hung out with the tour manager all day and the stage manager, and like they put her in all of the costumes and put, you know let her dance around with the swords and the rat heads and and everything else. And she just had a great time of it. She's seven now, and uh, her school, her the entire second grade class from her school are actually coming to the theater for a behind the scenes tour. Uh, she just asked me this morning whenever they come, if she can help guide the tour, um, because she knows everything so well. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Well, I sometimes have to bring my son with me to work. So we, he comes as a patron, of course. So we see lots of family shows together and music. And, um, last season we had, don't let the pigeon drive the bus, which was like such an amazing moment to bring him to that. And we've seen the Okie Dokie brothers and lots of other concerts and things together. Um, but sometimes he does have to come with me to like work a show too. So he'll go backstage with me to meet the artists. Um, or I will like rush into the office. Like I did a few weeks ago on a snow day to have to go give a presentation at a board meeting and just be like, Oh, Hey, Hey coworkers who wants to babysit for 20 minutes. So <laughs> shout out to my coworkers, especially Alex and Christopher who recently just became impromptu two babysitters in the cubicle farm um watching my son for me while i like ran upstairs gave a presentation to the board and then scooped him up and took him home for dinner so as a working parent that's just kind of like the way things are sometimes i love the terminology cubicle farm that's fabulous (laughs) (laughs) at the very beginning of my career when i was working at wolf trap um i worked in the arts and education department and i helped teaching artists get into classrooms and do workshops so my like arts programming was residencies and workshops primarily. And for people outside of the arts, those things are just like, they just don't quite have a solid enough definition that really makes sense of like, but what do you do? Um, And so I was always like looking for opportunities that were like open to the public that I could like just bring somebody along. I started this really awesome partnership with the Fairfax uh, County Libraries where we would do like a miniature version of our um, infant and toddler uh, residency workshops with um, families. And so at one point I got to bring my parents just to like an more or less open for the public. I was observing um, and I, you know, I brought them along so that they could like see what it's like when an artist is like so engaged with a group of children and families and just how, even though it seems so small, how deep that connection is and like how important that work is. And also just like having kids that are in like the most ideal age for like youth performance has been such a wonderful like 
uh, benefit of the job that like, I feel like I'm in a stage right now, like Katie was saying that it's just so fun um, to just like expose them to so many different kinds of artists and to hear their like feedback about the show and about the experience. Nice. Just like uh, all of you, I've, I've had plenty of opportunities to do that with my parents and with some friends over the years. But when my oldest son, who's now 19, was very young, toddler age, just like Katie's and Danielle's children, he used to come to work with me quite a bit because we did a lot of family and youth uh, programming. And, and he loved working with me. Like he would spend the whole day with me, come and, and do all the running around and setting everything up. And the artists were always so gracious with him. But I remember his favorite was, was a magician who's now going by his real name, uh, Justin Willman, who's on TV and stuff. But back then he used to go by Justin Credible and he would come to our, <laughs> to our venue twice a year and they took a liking to each other and they were like buddies. And, you know, after he was school age, it was going to school and couldn't come to the show with me. And, and Justin came to do a show. He's like, Hey, where's your little helper? And so I was like, yeah, unfortunately he's in school now. So, uh, but that was always a, a fun memory for me. And, and I'm glad that we got to do that. Um, I bring that up because I interviewed Jonathan Burns this week, and he talks about a really cool perk about an experience he just recently got to do with his family. And so take a listen and we'll see you on the other side. Hi, I'm Jonathan Burns and I'm the life of the party. <laughs> Cue the confetti. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome. And thanks for taking time to speak with us today. Of course. Um, can you just maybe, I, I know you wear several different hats. You're a comedian, a magician, a contortionist. Can you maybe just, uh, is there like a term that, that you use to comprise all of that? Or do you have to list them? There is, there's not a term. It's really, uh, it's, it's hard for me to explain it sometimes. It is definitely a variety show. People aren't as familiar with variety performer uh, as they might have been during like the Ed Sullivan days or... Um, yeah, even I, going I, all like, the way back I, to vaudeville, right? Back to, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. like, yeah, the vaudeville days or like Ed Sullivan, you would know what a variety performer is, but I basically, I, I'm a comedian that uses a lot of different, um, techniques and, and ideas and, and arts to make the audience laugh. So I started off as a magician, uh, when I was a, a teenager and my little birthday party magic show has kind of rolled into this one of a kind, unique uh, comedy show, which I which I'm now calling life of the party uh, because it is kind of like a party. There's confetti and there's mm -hmm. uh, there's there's magic, a lot of audience interaction and a lot of laughs. That's awesome. So you started to to touch on how you learned magic first. Can you maybe just give us the the highlight reel of your your professional journey? Yeah, sure. I I, I went to a magic shop. Well, first I I was a, a kind of a hammy kid. Loved loved to get attention. Um, I would do leg over the head at parties or or armpit <laughs> farts. That was kind of like my first performing arts. How, how old were you when you first discovered how flexible you are? Uh, I I think I was pretty young. Like I would I would do weird Benny tricks. It was really a a party trick at that time where, where like my parents were like, Hey, do your thing. You know? And they would like, and their parents and their friends would laugh at me uh, or my friends would laugh at me doing stuff at, at birthday parties or whatever. Um, and then uh, a family friend took me to a magic shop, which I, I didn't know existed. And I learned my first magic trick. I think the first one I learned was I, I turned four nickels into four dimes. Um, it was like, where, you know, where was the magic shop? It was in Winburg, Pennsylvania. So like in, it, I grew up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, little town uh, in Western Pennsylvania, and Winburg's even smaller, but uh, they, uh, I, 
I went to this place and it seemed so magical. And so like, there was all these amazing things on the wall and like the guy behind the counter could do all these incredible things. And then looking back, I realized it was just like a closet in a pizza shop that uh, some guy had put some magic tricks in. Uh, but this guy, Brian uh, Fauché was the man who opened it. And he was actually a student at Penn State. Uh, he was studying business and marketing. And instead of getting an internship for the summer, he decided he was going to open it. He was always interested in magic. So he opened a magic shop. And I went in there and I went like every week and bought a new trick and kind of had my my little bag of tricks, I, you know, I bought a briefcase, kept them on side there. And I would show them to kind of anyone who wanted to see them. And then uh, eventually somebody saw them and said, Hey, you want to perform at my daughter's birthday? And I said, mm-hmm. oh, okay. I d- didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> um, I, I borrowed a bunch of s- scarves from my grandmother, tied them together, stuck them up my sleeve and just kind of did, did what a, a magic show that I thought what a magic show should look like. And I started getting asked to do more and more shows. And so since I was 13, I've never had to get a quote unquote real job. Wow. So were your parents always supportive in that track or did they try to steer you to like a, a fallback job or, you know, Yeah, a... no, they, they were, they were definitely supportive. Like they, they, they were the ones who drove me to the magic show or even to mad, like to the magic shop and to magic shows. Um, I get hired somewhere and they, they would be the one to drop me off and pick me up after Billy's, you know, 12th birthday or whatever. Um, so I, they, they were very supportive in that, in that sense. And then I went to school, I went to Millersville university in Lancaster and I studied art education. So I think I, I never, like my summers were, were spent doing shows and performing at camp camps and, uh, birthday parties and kind of wherever they would have me. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated, they, I told them, I think I'm going to try this full time. And my mom's like, uh, like she was a little nervous, <laughs> a little hesitant, never came out and said no, but was like, maybe you could do it on the side. And I was like, I think I can, I think I can make this work. And I, and I have made it work since then. So they were pleasantly surprised. <laughs> when did comedy come into the picture or was that something that just got introduced as you were doing magic? I think as I was doing it, I tried to do like serious magic tricks and, you know, the, the David Copperfield one eyebrow up really like serious kind of magic show. Uh, at times and people would laugh. Like, I think, uh, my face (laughs) isn't built for serious magic. Um, (laughs) and I always loved, I loved comedy. Like I was always drawn to like Pee Wee Herman, Weird Al, Steve Martin. Uh, those were like my guys uh, growing up. And then later and later to like the kids in the hall and Saturday Night Live. And I just kind of was just drawn to funny people. And so I just started adding in more jokes and my, my, my first magic shows were definitely, they were, uh, I would see magicians on TV and basically take whatever they did and, and put it in my act. And I, someone had to kind of like make me realize I, when I was uh, like probably about 17, 18, I, I met somebody at a, at a magic convention which is, which they have, we mm-hmm. were surprised to have, but magicians from all over the world will gather in different cities and, and kind of share new tricks and, and you get to see performances and stuff like that. Uh, but this guy, Ryan told me, Hey, you should, you should keep a notebook and just put your own original ideas in there. And I was like, Oh, that's a good, that's a good thought. So I started doing that and that really changed everything from being just like a, a completely st- stolen act. Uh, as a teenager to becoming something that was only unique that I could only do. Wow. So it sounds like this person was sort of a mentor. Is that 
did that, does that happen at these gatherings? Do people it does. I mean, others? The, I Ryan, I think, is only like a year or two older than me. So it wasn't it wasn't like, you know, this old magician, sage, like 80 year old guy. You keep a notebook. He was just, hey, you should keep a notebook. And it was just like an off the cuff thing. I don't think he would ever like think about it as he was like the one who changed everything. But it really did change a lot for me. Like, I'm happy that I I did take like I think when I was a teenager, it was nice that I like what I what I took and did worked for me at the time. And I sort of learned from it kind of, it's almost like I feel like an, an apprentice working with a painter, like in the Renaissance, you, you look at how they did it and then you start, you can form your own technique from that. So I, I kind of was able to jump in and, and get a lot of performing experience early on and then uh, take that ad, advice that I, I got from them, um, stole from them and, and, and kind of, combine it all together and make it make my own thing. That's perfect that you mentioned apprentice, because when I, I speak to a lot of comedians and they talk about the same thing, it's like they're learning their craft. And a lot of them start by copying, you know, comics that they knew and stuff. And then then they learn to be themselves. And so it's like they they then introduce the craft into being themselves. And, and that's. Yeah, really yeah, I, I and it and it, I didn't know I was learning from them at the time. But looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that even jokes I write now, sometimes I can hear somebody else's voice in it. Um, I think if I would tell it to them, they wouldn't, they wouldn't hear it that way. But I kind of know the origin of like, oh, that's something that David Letterman said one night or whatever. Like, um, and I and I've actually, I was listening to an interview with Jimmy Fallon recently, and he mentioned some of his jokes in his monologue. Every once in a while, he'll deliver a punchline. He's like, oh, that that was very Brian Regan of me or whatever. Like, he he kind of can pick out where that came from. Um, but yeah, like, so now I, I think it's, it's hidden enough. I have enough influences from enough, like a wide range of people that it's that they, they wouldn't know that in my mind, I, I took that thing or, or, uh, you know, used it for my purposes. Now you mentioned your first, uh, your first trick turning the, the nickels into dimes or, or yeah. quarters into dimes. I don't remember what, what coins yeah, nickels it was, but dimes. yeah, <laughs> you, you want to uh, make money, not lose it. <laughs> do you, yeah. Do you remember, um, do you remember the first uh, trick or joke or, you know, one of your moves that you, you actually got paid for the first time? Oh, um, I feel like the, I mean, that first birthday party magic show, I think I may, I, they may have paid me $20 and I was like, this is amazing. You know, like I, I couldn't believe I, I got paid to do something that I just liked doing. That's awesome. Free. Yeah. Um, so that was a big thing. And I auditioned to be a street performer in uh, Baltimore at the Inner Harbor. So they have like a natural amphitheater at the Harbor area there. And I had seen performers there when I was younger and decided, oh, I'm going to take my my little show down there and see how that goes. And that was, um, they had like an audition and I, I auditioned for that. And I remember it going really well. Like they had a crowd gathered and I did my, my show and I, I could do like, you know, 10 minutes of my show or whatever. And it went well. And then I finally got like my first time slot down there. They're like, here's three hours. You can do your thing. Nice, nice. And I, and I, uh, I bombed. It was terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was so hard. I couldn't get people to stay. Bombing is so important. So many comedians say they're so yeah. glad that they bombed. But what's interesting is most people will have that experience and then they'll be like, oop, that's not for me. But what brings you back? Like, what's that special something that you and comedians have that say, OK, I bombed, but I'm going to go back and do it again? I don't know what it was in me here because like, I, I I made less money than it cost to park that day. Like, it, it, like I lost money, like just struggling and bombing, mm -hmm. you know, so I paid money to feel terrible. But <laughs> my uh, 
my girlfriend at the time, now wife, was with me, and she was like, well, at least we don't have to do that again. <laughs> she was like, it was so bad. And then I was like, I think I'm going back. And there was just something in me that, like, I got to figure this out. Like, I it went well the first time. Why didn't it go well the second time? And then I just, just by repetition, by going down there every every week or a couple times a week, I got way better very fast. Because most places I was performing was like, okay, you're in a nursing home. These people aren't allowed to leave. <laughs> they have to sit. We put them in this room. You're going to do your thing they, right, you know, right. no matter what. Uh, or a birthday party. Like you're at this party, you know, like you have to stick around and watch this guy and then do the next thing. So this was the first time where people could, like they had the choice to, to stop and watch me or even stay. So I had to figure out ways to kind of draw them in and keep them interested. And there's like a lot of... Uh, street performer tricks that, that that are out there, like techniques that, you know, oh, you use a chainsaw or you make loud noise or you use fire or whatever. And I tried to avoid a lot of those pitfalls just because I saw, I saw them work for a lot of other people. But there was something in me that it was like, I think it was, went back to like trying to be unique and keeping a notebook and having my own original ideas that I didn't want to just rely on those same things and have a show like everyone else. I really wanted to kind of make something that was, that only I could do. So you're honing your craft, you're you're getting the experience working with audiences and 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 putting your your act and show together, making it unique and yours. How do you then get to the point where you're making a career at this? It was kind of nice that I started when I was a teenager because I think it was slow goings from then. Like it was definitely building and building and building as it went and more people would hear about me. Um but I think it was also good that I started when I was a broke college student because I didn't need to have much to survive. Like I, I, you know, I lived in an apartment and I, you know, I know I need X amount of dollars each month or whatever. But if I was to start now, I have two kids, I have a house, mortgage, wife, like there's, there's a lot more pressure on me to, to deliver. Yeah. So I, I think it was one of those, it, it, I was happy that I started early and, and jumped right into it. I think sometimes people wait to uh, to find the right moment to do the things, but I think the best way to do it sometimes is just, just to kind of- Roll up your sleeves and yeah, and get out there. Yeah, I, I think I think that at least that worked for me. I, I Looking back, I didn't think of it like that at the time, but looking back, I feel like that was a huge advantage of being able to, to start as soon as, you know, so I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat the question though. So like, yeah, you just kept doing more and more, and you said it was a slow build. But at what point did you did you eventually catch the eye of an agent? Did you just start getting a big network of venues? Or a lot of it was me. Like I was just even in college, I started my own agency. I called myself Big Name Entertainment, um, and I even <laughs> like I had a dorm room like where we had a, a voicemail box with multiple things and there was a voicemail for big name entertainment and I had like roommates answering big name entertainment, you know? So like I made it, I made, I tried to uh, make the perception that it was kind of maybe bigger than, than just, just me doing magic shows or whatever. And I would book myself and I would book other acts and things too. So I was kind of just entrepreneurial in that way. I was just trying to, I didn't know how to get an agent. So I sort of started my own, agency that's great that's great and then um and i know after i graduated college i wanted to perform at colleges because i was doing it shows on my campus and and a few other campuses and just decided that there was there's a thing called naca uh the national association for campus activities it's a bit of an investment i took a i took a loan from my grandmother at the time just to be able to go 
And the first year I went, I was able to like break even. That's actually really good because it takes usually, you know, we hear from talking to so many other people, it takes maybe about three years or so for people that are new to kind of break their way in because so many people have their seasons, like next season's already booked. So they're looking for the following season. So that, so breaking even is actually a success. I think that first oh, year. Oh, thanks. Well, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> it, it felt, oh, it felt good at the time, actually. Like I was like, okay, like that was, it wasn't a total disaster. I didn't go further in the hole. Um, and I could pay my mom back. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so I, I just started doing that. And then I was just, I was really cold calling venues. I was kind of doing everything. The internet, uh, was definitely useful at that time, but not like today. There was, there was no LinkedIn at the time or, um, I, I remember having names of colleges on note cards and just like, when did I call them? I was making notes that way. So just break down like going to NACA, the jobs you got going to NACA versus the cold calling. I'm sure the cold calling was a lot harder because they don't see you. They, you know, they can't interact with you in a face-to-face. It was, I mean, there was, there was a few, like, I remember getting, I made a call to a school and was like, um, Hey, I've got a great magic show. And she's like, we don't have magic shows click. And I was just like, okay, (laughs) you know, so I had to, I had to get better at that. And there was other schools that I did call that they were like, oh, great. Can you send us more information? And then I would, you know, send them my packet or whatever, or, hey, we have an event coming up next week. You were interested, you know, like, so, so there was a few that were um, easy successes, which was great. Um, but, you know, I got hung up or didn't know, no reply for a lot of things too. So I just sort of started to, to I, I, you know, I really did start from the bottom of just like, uh, will you hire me? <laughs> You're, now you're acting as your own agent, and it sounds like you're doing a lot of the right things at, off the get-go. But how did you learn about some of the other business, such as like how to price your fee and how to, you know, put your rider or you know what you needed at the show provided by the venue? And so I remember like starting out and not, you know, knowing what, what an XLR cable was or like, you know, what a rider, what a rider meant or anything like that. Um, I know. I, once I found out those things, like it was like, okay, wait, I got to put that together or like, oh, can you have a, you know, can you send us um, like your, your inputs or whatever? I'm like, uh, sure. You know, like I was figuring that out. So I think it's just kind of little by little, I picked up more knowledge along the way. And sometimes I did jump into maybe a venue that I wasn't quite ready for, but the next time I went to a venue like that, it made me better. And I've kind of performed in any situation, especially with colleges. Sometimes you'll be in a performing arts center, like with you guys, like a you know beautiful venue. You have techs and you have people working with you. And other times they're like, okay, you can hook it into this boom box and you'll be by the, the soda machine. And yeah, you're like, yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> so I, I think all those experiences have, have helped. So uh, that's like my... If people want to ask me, uh, like people come up and ask me about performing, I often tell them, like just do it as much as you can because mm-hmm. all the experiences I've had, I've, I've had, you know, things go right. And a lot of shows I've had way more things go wrong. And, and I sort of, in that notebook, I, I write those things down or I make a mental note for next time. Oh, this is how I'll deal with this in the future. Or, Oh, this audience is a little sleepy. Do you need to do this? Or they're, they're maybe too loud and, you know, riotous. You got to adjust that way too. So 
I think uh, it was just experience was, was the biggest part for me. So you're doing the college circuit. Yeah. How do you get into doing some of the television that you started doing with Penn and Tellers, Fool Us, and America's Got Talent? And I know you were on the Late Late Show with James Corden. I, I think even earlier you were on David Letterman. Yeah. And Jay Leno was with the first. Okay, yeah. Tell us, tell us how that happened. That one. Uh, so Jay Leno, it's sort of a strange story. A friend of mine uh, who was a performer... He was he did a, a, a segment on the Tonight Show. Uh, it was like another kind of sort of stupid human tricksy segment. It was called Don't Try This at Home. And uh, so he was a magician juggler. He did that segment. He uh, really liked it and, and then got to be friends with the producer of the show and eventually left magic and juggling and went to work in television. So it was sort of a, a a weird chance thing that he was then working on this the Jay Leno with Jay Leno, and then this segment came up and he basically called me. Uh, he was like, "Hey, do you have anything fun for this?" And I was like, "Oh, I have this trick where I remove my underwear without taking my pants off." <laughs> and he's like, "Come on, come come to Los Angeles." Basically. Perfect. <laughs> um, so that that was like a you know, just just from meeting people and knowing knowing the right person. Um, and then some of the other ones like with Letterman was they used to hold like open auditions for um, for stupid human tricks. But I, I would just send in a tape with an idea and then they liked it. And um, and actually for that segment, they they bring six people in and narrowed down to three right before the taping. Oh, wow. So there was a chance like I wasn't even going to get on. But luckily, uh, we got on doing our, our trick, which was a big thrill. I was a big Letterman fan. Well, and then you can use that for your resume or for your marketing. Yeah, experience. no, it's like... it's it's really it's great because it's a it's a oh, look, I even have my my Letterman mug right here. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> uh, my gift for being there. Uh, yeah, so that one was just like, again, trying like I, I made it on audition tape and sent it off to them. And that's kind of how I think a lot of these work. Sometimes they are looking for segments um, and you can go on their website and find out what they're looking for and send in things. And some other ones were just because of these other TV segments or people seeing me live, they kind of reached out and said, hey, do you have any ideas for this particular thing? Um, Fool Us was another one. I had some friends who were on the show and they there's sort of an audition pro process with that too, where you send in a tape and then, um, they, they choose who's going to be on that season. So I was lucky that the first time I was on with Penn and Teller was a trick that I was doing in the show. My, my cheese across trick where yes. it's a magic trick with cheese. And, uh, it's something that I had done hundreds of times, knew really like inside and out and had to make a few adjustments for TV, but, uh, went really well. And it's, and it's actually now it's on YouTube page and a lot of people have seen it, which is great. I, I think that I, I highly encourage everyone to go look that one up because What's amazing, I love watching Penn and Teller when they are really loving the entertainer. Like, they, of course, you didn't trick them or fool them, but they loved your delivery, your style. Like, you could just see it in their faces. And that, to me, I don't know, as a presenter, that I'm always looking at the audiences. And in this case, you know, I'm looking at Penn and Teller as the audience and just admiring your showmanship. And Oh, thanks. Yeah, that, that, was, sort of, that was sort of the idea going in. I was, I knew... The, I mean, the part of the show is is to fool them. I knew that what that wasn't going to be my thing. My magic tricks are definitely more based in comedy and and being silly. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go and entertain them as best I can. And uh, because of that, they've they've had me back uh, on on fool us another time, and then I, I did another special with them um, a few years ago as well with my family 
uh, and when we're having a tea party, which is also available on, on YouTube, you can look up all those things. But um, yeah, so I, I think it's it, some of it's just going and doing uh, if you can do a good job or make a splash like on one show, it, it definitely helps with the next one. So those things really help with your electronic press kit or however you want to promote yourself and market yourself. You mentioned a few minutes ago about um, having to alter your trick for television. Can you maybe just touch on what are the different preparations you have to make for doing a TV gig versus a live stage gig? Yeah, it's it's it is different for sure. I mean, you're you're performing. Um, I was performing for the live audience in the room, but uh, one of the, one of the main things I had to adjust was the time. the The trick usually lasts around ten minutes, and they wanted to. A lot, a lot shorter than that. I think we ended up around six ish. Is that something you work out with them, or they tell you this is how long it needs to be? Yeah, I worked out. So, like before you arrive, you work with some producers on the show, and they try to help you a bit with with organizing that. And then once you're there, you do the audition, like you do not really an audition, I guess a run through in the room for some of the other people behind the scenes, like the. There's magicians behind the scenes uh, who have to know how your trick's done. And then there's also uh, other people there just saying like, oh, you know, make sure you stand here with the blocking or, you know, the cameras are going to be here. here. Like, they kind of just give you a little bit of a rundown of how it's going to go. And then um, the other big part of it was I, when I'm doing it on stage, I have, I use like music and there's a lot of popular songs that would be cleared for for TV. Right, right. So I had to come up with something to kind of fill those spaces. And in the routine, I use a lot of wind chimes. I pull them out of uh, all, <laughs> Which all is across hilarious. my body. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the first time I ever did it. it, was actually on TV, was the first time I ever oh, wow. used wind chimes yeah. live. So like the days leading up to it, I was in my you know Vegas hotel room trying to figure out where I'm sticking wind chimes <laughs> and what I'm going to do. And I was even trying to write jokes uh, to to punch up what I had already done hundreds of times. So I'm writing jokes the morning of like of my taping. So like I, up to the moment I did it, I was still kind of working it all out. And um, that that was the case with that one. And then actually I did my second appearance with them too. I did a, an escape from a couch uh, wearing a straight jacket. Uh, so they filled me up in a pullout couch. And uh, that one I had never done before. Uh, it was just an idea in my notebook oh my for gosh. years. And the first time I did it was for Penn and Teller on their TV show. <laughs> so that one was a little bit more nerve wracking where I'm like, I hope this all works out. There was a lot of moving parts um, and it was a little bit more uh, script to remember and, and jokes again, writing them till the morning of. And so it was it the, the you know you have like one shot at it so i think that's the the scariest part with the tv thing you just need to make sure that you know all the the ins and outs of how it's going to go and and hopefully it all works the way you want it i just think it's really cool because now the the wind chimes have become part of your act because it worked so well and it's just funny how you know whatever that saying is about innovation <laughs> you know how, how you needed to fill something and, and just did this thing and now it's it's a hilarious part of your act i think oh um, thanks yeah yeah yeah, yeah I've, I've been trying to incorporate it more because every once in a while i'll before I was using them in the show and people had seen the pen and tuck thing, they were like, where were the wind chimes? And <laughs> because I have them all over my body, I can't like 
where the cheese trick is in my in my full show i couldn't i'd be like clinking the whole time walking around <laughs> so I, I i use them in a different way as you mm-hmm. saw mm-hmm. at kutztown recently and it um yeah it's it's fun for me and i keep adding more and more and, and making it more and more ridiculous now you you mentioned you have uh, a wife and two children and i'm i know a lot of people went through the pandemic and realized that the touring life was not really what they what they wanted to do anymore. They wanted to spend more time with their family. And I'm just curious, did the pandemic have any effect like that on you? How do you how do you balance that quote unquote work life balance, you know? Yeah, it, it is tough. I know I just got back from a cruise. I work with Disney Cruise Lines and this week I was able to actually take my family with me. So there's some perks to the job um, where they got to they got to travel from uh, well, first they did a show in Iowa, so they got to travel to Iowa and then to uh, San Diego, and then we got on the cruise ship for uh, a week and went to Mexico, and and so it was that was the like the best, you know, like when nice. when I can yeah. when I can show up, I can do my job, and also they get to enjoy the perks of it. And like over the summer, we were in Europe for a month where I was performing at shows in Spain and in in Greece. So they were able to travel with me then. And we, that my wife's a teacher, so she's off in the summer. So we try to take advantage of that when we can, but there are times when I'm gone for a month at a time and don't get to see them. And it's really tough. Um, FaceTime and uh, just, just trying to stay in touch, me sending postcards and, and, you know, like us sending, you know, texts and stuff back and forth are, are huge, but, you know, for all the bad sides of it, there are some really nice parts of it too. So Jonathan, I have a a time machine that I invented some time ago, and uh, I guess it's irrelevant when I invented it, but um, I want to take you back to when you were doing that street performing and you, that, that second show had just happened and you bombed. And uh, I'm going to give you a minute or two to maybe talk to yourself either to kind of give yourself, give yourself some advice that you needed then, or even just some encouragement. What would you say to yourself at that time? All right, Jonathan, take a knee. Yes, I'm from the future. Forget about all of it, okay? <laughs> uh, you're still handsome. Yes, I know, I know. All right, well, so it's it's all going to get better, all right? I know this is terrible right now. You don't have enough money to pay for parking. However... <laughs> It's gonna you're gonna you're gonna struggle here for a while, but you are gonna get better. You're gonna see results, and someday you'll get to be a hun. There's no business like podcast. <laughs> Fantastic. <All right. laughs> Would you give yourself a few bucks to pay for the parking too? <laughs> That's right. You see that? Oh man, I should have. Here's five bucks to pay for parking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're almost out of time, but I just want to know, is there any kind of uh, advice you'd have for someone who's maybe a, a college student or somebody who's just entering the field as an artist like you or even just some other part of the industry um, as they're starting out? Is there, is there something that you learned that would have been helpful in the beginning to have? Yeah, get as much experience as possible. Like, however you can do it, um, wherever you're at, whatever level, just to kind of be involved i think is huge like if you you know if you want to be on stage get as much stage time as you can if you want to be behind the scenes volunteer uh take take all those jobs early on and you're just going to build you're going to you're going to learn so much just from doing uh and learn as you go um that's going to be that's going to be that's going to pay off in the in the end for sure so get it the experience great advice I always ask this as my last question. 
What do you like most about working in this industry today? Well, I still like, it's basically where I started in the beginning. I like people laughing at me. <laughs> so that's what I, I it's, there's nothing better feeling than like writing a new bit and it works on stage. Um, I tried out some new stuff on that cruise I was on this past week where I, I, we were in Mexico and we did, I did different Spanish translations about things that happened at port and it got a huge laugh. And there's, there's nothing better when you're like, you have an idea, you put it on stage and it works. It's like, ah, <laughs> you know, like it, 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 it's the best. Jonathan, I really enjoyed talking with you today and I loved working with you and getting to see your show. I wish you all the best. And I, I want to just thank you for taking this time with us today. Thank you so much. There's no business like. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. So what I find so fascinating whenever we talk to um, magicians is that their origin story is always in a magic shop. And yeah. I want to know <laughs> who these people are running these magic shops. And please tell me that they are still out there because okay. like these people are the backbone of society. So Joshua Kane <laughs> took me to a magic shop in New York at APAP this year. And it's the same one that uh, Max, uh, the amazing Max, Max Darwin was at the day before. He's like, Hey, we're going to go here. I'm like, all right, cool. And so we, we walk into this, just single doorway it's just like this industrial hallway and then there's a single elevator and he's like we're going sixth floor and i'm like okay and we go up to the sixth floor and it's another industrial hallway i'm like there's no signage there's nothing and i'm like <laughs> what is going on and like we go down this we go down this hallway and then all of a sudden it opens up to like to this magic shop that like you open the door and all of a sudden there's like all these wooden like oak shelves and it's all, and i'm like what in the world <laughs> like you have to know where it is to find it it, it was a really cool experience because it is like that magical feeling because there's magic tricks everywhere like the entire room is filled with magic tricks and books about how to do these magic tricks and i'm like all right this is cool zach uh, i also just love that line cue the confetti uh, <laughs> like just starting that out that is now how i'm going to introduce myself on like all things kevin maynard cue the confetti <laughs> so just full disclosure jonathan i am stealing that so well get yourself a little notebook and write that down yeah i loved his notebook idea because he it helped him like become a better artist and and he was you know using that notebook i thought that was a a really cool idea. I love that he got into the industry initially through armpit farts. Like <laughs> that's my first origin story that I've heard that starts with armpit farts. And I and, and putting his leg over his head. <laughs> yeah, but the emphasis really on the armpit farts. Um, but seriously, the you know there was reference to this that uh, in a, in a previous episode that there really should be more respect for children's performers that perform like at birthday parties and stuff like that, because that is often the first like entry point uh, into performing arts for little kids is a magician at a, at a birthday party or something like that. And that's where he started and has developed since and built his career. Um, and I love that it all sources from armpit farts. <laughs> well, and Josh, I was thinking, listening through like the importance of the college touring circuit and how he really used that as a tool to build his show, build his career. He was an agent, like taking phone calls out of his dorm room and like, you know, booking his himself. I just I love that anecdote about like using his roommates as his mm -hmm. uh, employees <laughs> to like, you know, um, answer the phone. But I, I think to your point, 
talking about, you know, children's entertainment, birthday parties, that college touring circuit is super important as well for uh, emerging artists and developing their careers and developing those skills in terms of like he was talking about, like, every environment is different. You never really know what you're going to get. And then on the flip side of that, we've heard this from a few other folks, being a college student, that is a great way to learn about the industry and how to book shows and work with artists. So, you know, all those arts admin students who are out there, like, that's a great opportunity is working with your college entertainment board or student, you know, student board, whatever that is at your college or university. Um, and I don't think we think about those opportunities or like how you can really utilize both sides of that coin to launch a career. And I just really love that reminder from Jonathan about how those opportunities can be really valuable. That's the same with like going and doing an event. And like he was talking about embalming, right? Like that's not just an experience that happened and then you forget about it. Like that is a learning experience that like you use as a foundation. So it's like you can look at it as a fail or you can look at it as, well, now I learned what not to do. And, you know, the same thing with all of those birthday parties, the more you get in front of kids, like the more that you can keep an audience, the same way with like college students on a Friday night. If you can keep college students <laughs> after class with whatever they're doing on a Friday night engaged in a room, like you could probably do a performing arts center. <laughs> well, and I love that his like his big piece of advice is just get as much experience as you can perform as much as you can. It really it speaks to Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule. Uh, which is to to truly gain mastery of anything, you need ten thousand hours in that field, um, and that that plays you know like in in say the performing arts field that includes your rehearsal time, your planning time, and your performance time because all of those are preparation and are learning the experience and are learning uh, what to go through and just performing as much as you can, getting in front of as many people as you can speaks to that 10,000 hours of, of mastery. Just to go back to what Katie was saying before, because um, Jonathan mentioned NACA and the college circuit, and that's how, you know, we talk about APAP. That's their APAP, essentially. And it's for student activities, primarily, um, you know, booking shows for student populations, which I've been involved. I've been a university presenter at two different institutions now, but both of those jobs have been uh, my goal or focus or mission has been to bring outside community to serve the greater community and bring them on the campus. Whereas I had counterparts in the student activities offices that focus on the student population and bringing in artists for them. And they, they're the ones that go to NACA. The warning that I have, there are a good number of people I'm talking about on the agency side who do what we learned about in, in the Jerry Ross episode, they're buy sell type people. And they take advantage of a lot of these student activity people that don't have the experience of working with agents directly or artists. And so they'll be paying like two, three times as much for the same artist, which the artist isn't getting that money. It's that buy sell agent. I'll say this industry wide is like I still get emails from from those buy sell agents. They'll they'll send me an email and they'll list a ton of people. And and once I start looking at it, I I know the agent that actually represents those artists. Mm -hmm. And I I can pretty very quickly know at this point, okay, this is a buy sell agent. That's not going to be my my most cost effective way of going about getting this artist. But there's a learning curve to that because they'll present you with some artists that are really attractive from a oh I could get that person here, but having the experience to know this person isn't the the actual real go to person for that. Um, it it's an interesting complexity of this industry that is something that you just have to learn through experience to, to be able to find. 
And it's not just the artist fee too, because it, it translates to getting a proper writer. It gets, you know, a lot of information they'll send you is not even accurate or correct because they're not actually interacting with the artist. You know, it's just a warning for anyone that might be going into that side of the business. You just need to be aware of that. Brian, I'd like to touch on uh, a question that you asked in the interview, which I thought was a fantastic question is how he figured out how to set up his fee and his writer whenever he was first starting out and getting going into that college circuit. And, and I thought that was a really important question from a development side for, for anybody listening to this that is an up-and-coming artist um, as to, to how to establish yourself there. And so I thought it created some really good insight. I, I appreciated his focus and recognition of starting early, um, not only like tying into the fact that it takes a lot of practice, um, you know, but also recognizing that at that time in his life, like he had he didn't have a family. Like he was, he had the time he had, you know, and honestly, like at that age, if it fails, like you're not, it's just you, like you, you know, there's, there's, you know, less at stake there. And just recognizing that I thought was, it was really great. And just also, you know, sort of drives home some of the points that we often talk about here is like, just sometimes you just need to do it um, and, and go out there after it instead of waiting and trying to find that, that perfect moment, that perfect opportunity. And, and so often whenever you're first starting out and so passionate, that is the right time. That's when you've got the fire, but at the same time, it has that balance of you don't have a mortgage and a family and a, and a lot at risk. And so the risk versus reward is a much more simple equation. Yeah. But also if you find yourself mid-career and you did do the thing, there's like a part of that conversation that sounds disheartening of like, well, if I haven't started, then I can't as many times as you hear, well, it started early whenever I didn't have all these expenses and look where I am now. It's like you hear the same number of stories that are like, well, with the maturity that I have now that I didn't have, you know, I was able to make whatever work, you know, it worked for him. And I think that that, yeah, like that's a great, it's, it's a great way to prop up that example. Yeah, no, that, that's, that is a, a fantastic point. Cause you're right. You hear so many people who, who, you know, got their career started very late in life and obviously have been very successful as well. Wherever you are, that support network or that support system is really key to success for artists, agents, whatever part of the industry that you're in. Um, you know, I, I really love that Jonathan's parents were really supportive from the get-go of him pursuing this. And his Mima. Yeah, and yeah. his grandmother. Um, and I just think that's like a key to whether you're starting out very young or you're making a switch um, in the middle of your career or pursuing something new. Like you have to have people in your corner, whether that's personally or professionally um, working together, seeking out that support, like having those people that will back you no matter what, I think is one of the keys to this industry. And uh, I think we've we've learned in other interviews that that support has been really key to other people's success and clearly key to Jonathan's success as well. A quick inspirational message to anybody out there who's like playing with the idea of starting something new. Do it. Just do it. What, you know, if there's anything that that you see that's that's like the barrier to you jumping off that cliff and, and jumping into it, figure out your why that barrier is there or if that barrier is there for a certain reason and how to get past it so you can, so that you can jump and pursue your passion. Because I mean, I'm mid, I'm midfield, mid career and, and, and I'm finding new things to be passionate about all the time. And, and the biggest thing that I can say is just start, just do it. So the other thing that I think we should go back to is that 
the network that you build is also something that you have in your toolbox. He um, would have never gotten his first start on Leno if a friend hadn't like had that in and already knew him and knew that he would be a great person for that spot. And like so many of these things we've talked about, there's a way to look at that where it's like he was lucky, he was in the right place, he met the right person. But like he also worked really hard for a lot of years to build a network of fans as well as other magicians going to magician conferences and being in the room and having relationships and talking to people like those things are all awesome things to carry with you in your toolbox. And I love that example because it's incredible. And like, you know, whenever he got that opportunity on TV, looking at just the boldness of when he was on Penn and Teller's fool us to start just like, he had this random idea to to pull wind chimes out from everywhere and he had never done it before and debuted it on television um, in the chance that is, you know, his uh, opportunity for a big break. He took a big chance and tried something brand new at that very moment, which was really amazing, but incredibly bold. And and just I applaud the the courage to do that. And what's funny is that wasn't an idea that just came to him. It was something that he had to come up with a solution for a problem because the transitions were always done with popular music, which he couldn't use because of copyright reasons. And so that led to him just thinking creatively of ways to fill those spaces. And it became something that was just amazingly funny. And now you know why you think you hear wind chimes in the room over <laughs> when you're staying in a hotel. You don't ever, never know who you're staying next to. <laughs> well, when he was telling that story, listening to it, you know, I had that thought about like when you are put into a box, that is when you can be actually the most creative. When you have those limitations, those parameters put on you, that is sometimes when the most creativity comes and you can really have those moments of inspiration and brilliance. And so I was just thinking about like, what has what do we do now as we come out of pandemic and we've had all these restrictions and like we looked at the create we saw the creativity that came out of that so how do we continue that forward um and how do we not let these kind of limitations of audience return and marketing challenges and things like that set us back but how do we like build on that and get more creative in this moment and keep that momentum moving forward well, thank you all. I started this uh, episode out by asking a question about bringing family and friends to work with you. And as you heard in the interview, Jonathan got a really amazing experience to bring his family and young two young girls onto a Disney cruise with him while he worked on that. And I thought that was just like an amazing experience, I'm sure, for them. So thank you, Jonathan, for, for joining us on this episode. And thank you for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to there's no business like. Our producers and hosts are Brian Zelmer, Josh Benson, Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, Danielle Van Hoek. Views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. Keep up with us at nobusinesslike.com. There you'll find links to all of our episodes and socials. If you like this podcast, give us a like, a follow, a review, or our favorite, a five-star rating. Oh, wait, what was that site? <laughs> I got it. Don't worry. It is nobusinesslike.com. Do I sound out bus I miss every time I type it? Yep, sure do. Stay in touch, my friends. 
But I also, I was getting into my phone because I wanted to pull up this picture of my son being flexible. (laughs) (laughs) He did it a lot the other day. (laughs) And then he kept wanting me to take more pictures. He might be the next Jonathan Burns. He was like, keep taking, he might be. Like, wow, that's. He really likes to trick people. Oh, Oh, gosh.